but it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> fake news. It's fake news, I tell you. This, uh, this, uh, um, this airliner, deja vu uh, all over again. He's uh, already gotten off to a bad start. I know, I know. Somebody uh, was really on a roll. Yeah, oh, yeah. There you go, David. What, um, one of the things they're ignoring here, of course, is what's that, that? Is that an Air, Airbus, Airby, have software that prevents them from banking so steeply? Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. All, all five of the computers. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would guess, you know, and uh, as someone pointed out in the comments, um, there's some pretty interesting structural flexing going on in the aircraft as well that is kind of a tip-off. Um, plus, apparently, the control, if you look closely, and I didn't look this closely, but apparently if you look closely enough, the control surfaces, move, the control surface movements don't match what the airplane is doing in right. any way, shape, or form. Um, right. And so, uh, you know. Um, really? Uh, that's what someone said in the notes, and I, I'm prepared to believe that. I, there, I, it was there. There are, um, how do, how do, there are frames where the controls are deflected in the wrong wrong yeah. direction from yeah. the action. And and plus, you know, I mean, I don't know what the 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 whole uh, uh, VA situation is here, but uh, um, there were full control deflections there that would have just ripped off the ailerons. I would imagine, you know, you would think. So, so anyways, it's uh, the but the sad part is that so many people would buy this. What was that movie that a couple bunch of years ago about? Um, it was it Denzel Washington. Denzel was the, Washington. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, roll, roll the DC nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In order yeah. to save it, I, I didn't see the movie. I, I very actively did not go see this movie because I, I knew it was going to offend me no end. Did I, I, any of the three of you see this movie? I, I've seen it. My, my comment at the time was um, that um, that movie, I forget the name of it, uh, had as much relation to, aircraft, to aviation as The Godfather does to horses. Well, yeah, but but to Denzel oh, wow. Washington's credit, it was yeah. a great you know it, it was, was a great, great flick because yeah, it dealt it with a guy well who had uh-huh. some serious issues, and it talked about you know what we do with our pilots when when emotionally they they're distraught. Of course, after that was when we had German Wings and all these other things. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. So. Uh, but what was in the movie? What was the? Pr- I mean, accepting that it probably never could, would ever happen. He rolled. Was there any plausibility to the idea that Rowling would say what? What situation was he in? He was. He was uh, engine out, right? He was just I like. I think they were dead stick. Um, there was a a Southern Airways DC nine um, in I think it was early seventy seven that went down. Uh, near Atlanta, had flown into a thunderstorm, and both engines were knocked out from water and ice ingestion, mm-hmm. and it was dead sticking. It, uh, a lot, a lot of stuff going on. But the bottom line is they put it down on a, a two-lane highway, uh, and um, the, the the scene in the Denzel Washington movie is kind of a riff on that. Um, the, in the act in the Southern Airways crash, they didn't roll the airplane. Um, I don't know why they had to roll it in uh, the Denzel Washington movie. What was the name of that movie, by the way? 
I'm trying to remember, but I'm going to be honest with you. The reason they had to roll it in the movie is because Hollywood said so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there was no... I mean, but what was the conceit that, yeah, right. What was the aeronautical, you know, pretend conceit? That, I think that it a, that was, he was going to have to either roll or split ass, split ass out and the split ass would put you straight in the ground. But it was because he was so low to the ground or because it was an obstruction or. Because, I... when you have those choices where you can't split ass out because you can't pull out. Then yeah. the roll is all you've got. So, like um, an extreme turbulence situation might put it in there. And I'm yeah. being honest with you, I don't remember what got yeah. him there, but he had to continue the roll to get out. Yeah, and the movie was flight. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, thank you. I was just looking myself here. Uh, aptly, uh, aptly, I'm pleased to say it. that in IMDb, Denzel Washington's page does not call out flight as one of the movies he's known for. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 2012. Whip Whitaker. Whip Whitaker was his character's name. Whip Whitaker. There you go. Flight. Anyways. All right. Well. Okay. Fake news. I tell you, it's fake news. news. Speaking of fake news, welcome, folks, to uncontrolled airspace. The uh, fake general aviation. No, the real general aviation podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from high atop Lookout Point in uh, beautiful Nottingham, New Hampshire. Actually, cloudy, gray Nottingham, New Hampshire today, but uh, um, but uh, uh, otherwise nice and uh, starting to become fall. And uh, um, and we just had the passing of uh, what was left of Florence uh, came through the other day, and so we actually got three inches of rain in one day, which is a lot of rain for us in in one day. Um, so uh, um, you know, you got well, more rain out of that storm than we did. Uh, well, yeah, no kidding. It, 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 luckily for you guys, it completely bypassed you, as I understand. I was yeah. watching the Jacksonville football game that afternoon and, you know, when the storm was really big and uh, um, and apparently even Jacksonville hardly saw any stop anything me, of it. Stop me if I know this already, but why on earth were you watching the football game in Jacksonville? <laughs> uh, this may be for the after show. Um, I've gotten... The, the 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 organization I work for, um, a couple of the the senior people are huge football fans, and they actually are fantasy football fans too, and so there's actually a fantasy football league for the organization that I work for, um, and and they invited me to join the league a couple of years ago, and I kind of didn't want to because I'm really not a football fan, all right, but it seemed like a good team building thing and so i got into it. and although i'm not all that much more interested in football than i ever was um the i i become fascinated by the statistics and the number because if you do fantasy fantasy sports it's all about the numbers it's all about the stats and digging into the, so yeah i and, and and then as a result because you've got a player in a game that you care about how they do you end up watching the football game more information than you really needed to know. I was watching the game because my quarterback was playing for um, whoever was playing in the Jacksonville game. That's all. <laughs> oh, That's all. He's not even going to tell us who his quarterback <laughs> is. My quarterback is my quarterback is Aaron Rodgers of of the Green Bay Packers, and uh, who is uh, having a really rough start of the year, which means my yeah. team is having a rough start. More, way more information. Uh, aviation podcast, aviation podcast. I'm here in the virtual hangar this morning, talking with three of my good friends um, who are scattered all over America, um, in no particular order. Uh, one of those voices out there is 
Jeb Burnside talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How are you doing? I'm well. Um, it's a great time of year down here. I'm getting some, some projects tackled and mm-hmm. uh, happy to be here uh, with you folks. Has the... Uh, has the uh, uh, weather broken down there the, in terms of humidity and, and, and summer heat and that it's kind of thing? It's hard to say. It hasn't done so quite yet. And the forecast for it is to to not break for the next several days. Mm-hmm. But uh, this morning is absolutely delightful. Uh, and I don't know what the rest of the day will bring me. I see some high cirrus, uh, but that's the only cloud right now. It seems like it, there's, the humidity has gone down a little bit. It was... Last couple of days were pretty humid, hot and humid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, uh, it's too soon to tell today, and, and kind of we'll get there. We'll mm-hmm. get there. Yeah, yeah. Another one of my good friends here in the hangar this morning is uh, from the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas. Dave Higdon. Hi, Dave. How are you doing? Doing wonderful. Doing wonderful. Having a lovely week. Produ- uh-huh. Productive. Uh, lots of stuff on the plate. Uh, letting me avoid stuff I don't want to do, like. Mowing my lawn. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. Well, I don't have lawn, but I've got all kinds of yard stuff I'm putting off. So, uh, yeah. Um, did uh, the Florence rain make it as far into as Kansas? No, no, it yeah. headed y'all's way. Yeah, uh, it, it, it curved north pretty quickly. Um, so, uh, so yeah, would, the, the far out forecast was for, for it to come out of the Carolinas and sweep up into the Ohio River Valley and. It had plans of its own. It changed the heading bug and headed in your direction. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to talk about Florence for a little bit in a few minutes, but uh, because it really had a serious effect in in a lot of different places. But uh, um, but before we do that, um, uh, a special. Uh, it's a treat for us, a treat for me, anyways. That uh, joining us in our virtual hangar this morning is another great friend, Amy Laboda from uh, where are you? Fort Myers, Florida. That's correct. Where you know it's still really hot. I beg to differ with really? Jeb. I, yeah, it's been hot. I'm just hoping today is going to be one of those days that it's not so hot. Keep hoping, baby. I know. I I, I live with that hope too. Yep. I'm sorry. You what too? You you broke up there for a second. Oh, I live with that hope too. That it's oh, yes. going to okay. stop being quite so hot in the morning. If I want to go out and take a walk, it feels like the only time to do it is about 6.30 a.m. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because I would have guessed the other way around. I would have guessed that Amy would be less sensitized to the heat and humidity, and Jeb would be more. Because, Amy, you're a, you're a Florida native, right? You grew up down there, right? I did grow up down Although there. Although you, you lived up, away for a while. but I but. lived away for a while. I lived up even as close to your neck in the woods. I lived in the Boston area for a mm-hmm. little while and the New York area. But I spent the month of August in the Pacific Northwest, yeah. and it was magnificent. And then I came back here. So I, I have to re-acclimatize. That's the word yeah. I was looking for. Well, I kind of know what you're talking about if you lived away, because I lived away from New England for a while, and then when I came back, I lost my tolerance for some of the climate things here. So, yeah, maybe you lost some of your, your tolerance for Florida weather when you lived away. I don't know. Anyways. Yeah, I'm not sure. That was that was 25 years ago at this point. Actually, 28 years ago. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it was 20 years ago for me, and I still, yeah, anyways. Okay, we better talk about airplanes before, uh, before I don't know, before something bad happens. Um, the, Amy, one of the things we've talked about, um, we've loved hearing stories, you, hear you tell stories about over the years, is your adventures with your Kit Fox airplane. 
Um, the the you have, you've had a kit fox forever that that you and or Barry built. Is that how? It, what was the genesis of this airplane? Yeah, understand that if we're talking about my airplanes, we're talking about my husband Barry who built them, and I helped. Okay, <laughs> yeah, it's very very important. Okay, all right. And I don't have a kit fox anymore. However. Yeah. The Sun and Fun Museum is up one airplane now, which is kind of yeah. exciting for me. Good. But Good let's for you all. Let, let's go back a step and, okay. and tell us why you don't. You know, because that was a great airplane, and I know you loved that airplane, and I, I've got a, a couple of rides in it, and I know others. I think Jeb has. I don't know if Dave ever got a ride in the Kit Fox, but um, that was a cool airplane, and I got the feeling you really loved that airplane. Why do you not have that airplane anymore? What well, happened? You guys know I'm retired, right? Yeah, that's the story. You're sticking we'll, to it, right? We'll begin with, I'm retired, my husband's retired, and uh, we had two airplanes. Now, the Kit Fox is 26 years old and has lived a life in South Florida the whole time. As you might imagine, we have issues with corrosion, particularly where I live, which is only 15 miles from the coast. So mm-hmm. I can go out in the morning and I can literally just run my finger along the top of the prop and I'll come off with salt residue, even really? inside my hangar. Wow. Yes. So over 26 years, this airplane has begun to develop some corrosion issues. Uh, we had an orphan engine in it that was long in tooth and becoming more and more difficult to source parts for. Uh, we really had to sit down and take a hard look at where we want to put our money. And we've got a very capable airplane that's 10 years old that my husband also built and I helped. And um, we were flying that a lot more, about mm-hmm. five times as much. Yeah. So it didn't make sense anymore. And besides that, my friend Jeb has a tailwheel airplane. <laughs> so I'm not like hard up for a tail, tailwheel airplane anymore. Ah, okay. That's an interesting way of looking at it. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so they are uh, the, the the people at Sun and Fun have have graciously accepted this airplane as a non flying teaching instrument, and because the Kit Fox has a wonderful folding wing mechanism that works well on this airplane, they mm-hmm. are starting it out as an educational tool to do outreach. You know, they have the Central Florida Aerospace Academy, which is a high school yes. dedicated aviation magnet high school on the campus of Sun and Fun, and they need to recruit students for that high school. And they are going to put the Kit Fox on a trailer, and they're taking it out to elementary and middle schools, and they are going to show off what aviation can do and how what a hand-built airplane looks like ah. and let people touch it and, and move the controls and use it as a, as a working recruiting tool for the next year is what I've been told. Um, and I'm really excited about that. That's very cool. That is cool. That is cool. Did you do anything to it to assure that it was not going to fly? Well, we deregistered it. We took the um, took the data plate. The data plate's gone back to FAA along with deregistering it. Um, I think that's that's a pretty effective method of making sure it's not going to fly. And the paperwork all shows 
that they're right. going to use it as a non-flying. Now well, they can they can use it in a lot of different ways. They have an A and P program that generates an A and a full A and P with high school graduation if the kids do the courses and take the test. And it's not impossible that pieces and parts of this airplane may end up there at some mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And that that doesn't break my heart either. They can use it for anything they want to as long as it doesn't fly. Yeah, no. Being an organ donor is a good thing. I, mm-hmm. I everyone should be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well that's but that's sad the sad end of an era. That that was a cool airplane and uh um a fun airplane and I know you liked it, but uh but that, that's nice that you found a nice future for it. And, uh, yeah, very cool. What's the uh, – now tell we, – I, we, I kind of know this, but the, the airplane that you do have that you fly a lot is what? It's an RV-10. It's 10 years mm-hmm. old. Flying years, I might add. And believe it or not, this was the first year we ever had uh, mechanical issues on the road. Yeah, I which, know. We talked you know. about this a little bit on the episode that we did from Oshkosh where you joined us. Oh, um, we got more. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't know. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's scratch out this item on the list and this item on the list because we want to hear about this. Um, so wait a minute. When last we met, when last, with, how do they say it in in, uh, in radio dramas? Uh, on our, uh, oh, that's right. Previously on UCAP, um, you, when you were at Oshkosh, you suddenly, or, or when you arrived at Oshkosh or somewhere along the line, uh, oil leak basically is what it Oil leak, to. yes. Oil uh, leak, and we f- we fixed it at, right. at it was Air Venture, a, which is well, a great place. It was a bad fitting? It was a loose fitting of some sort? Is that what it was? It or? was actually a clamp on the yeah, bottom right. of the magneto that okay. was not properly um, where it was supposed to be. Okay. And on that yeah. final day at Oshkosh, you seemed comfortable that you had resolved that um, so, I'm sorry, Jeb, you were going to jump in there? I, I was just going to say, if there's anywhere I want to have a mechanical, it's Oshkosh during AirVenture. No kidding. Source yeah. and parts, not oh, a problem. Yeah, Although absolutely. we did have to have it shipped. It wasn't at the show. We had to have it shipped. But figuring out where to get the part and getting it in a timely manner, not a problem at all at Oshkosh. I agree well, with you, a, Jeb. Yeah, there's a, uh, basically an AOG shop on the ground. Oh, um, Yeah. Uh, that you know, if you say lean gear up or 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 have a flat tire on, or something like that, they'll tell you into that shop, fix you up, and and, and turn you right back out. Right. As long a- as I'm the sorry, you said available. AOD. What did you say? AOG. 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 What's AOG? Aircraft on ground. Okay. It's technical um, terminology, but it yeah, works. Yeah. Is that the uh, is that the the temporary uh, uh, maintenance facility that they set up for yeah. AirVenture? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, that is that is a cool thing and all volunteer run. Quite a Emer- emergency emergency air repair. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so Amy, when we left you on Sunday morning, you th- seemed to think that you you were optimistic and you thought things were going to go well. Did were there more problems? Not with oil leaks. <laughs> it was it was beautiful. The oil, the repair worked beautifully. Yeah, had nothing to do with that. Okay, but uh, so I, yeah. on arrival in Bellingham after the airplane sitting in the grass for a week, we had a flat main, and the pilot flying didn't entirely recognize it as such. Just it felt weird. And as we approached the gas tank and did a little pirouette, um, the tire rolled off the the wheel. Wow! Which was okay. very unfortunate because that actually damaged the rim as well and <laughs> yeah, made it that's, that's a tough, more tough. interesting repair. Mm-hmm. 
but but it didn't there was no bad effect on on landing so you think it was flat when you were touched down I think that it was very, very low when we rolled it out of the grass. But since mm-hmm. we started in the grass and we have these wheel pants, uh, she says vehemently. Um, yeah. Yeah. The bane of the existence. The wheel pants really? are great on the RB10 because they really do uh, add a few knots. Mm-hmm. They're kind of flying wheel pants. They're all part of the process, the fairings and things. Um but they also, and Cirrus drivers have similar issues, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if Lance Air and uh, the Columbia now, what do they call that now? Cessna TTX. Yeah, the TTXs also have this issue because those are really low wheel pants when you look at them. Um, they hide everything. And if you want to do a real wheel check, you have to take the darn things off. That's that's basically yeah, it. Oh, really? Yeah, how, yeah. So. How hard are they to take off? Mm, depends on the airplane. The, okay. the well, I'm, in, I'm in on the RV. On the RV, it's two pieces, um, front, back. So you've got to get down on the ground with a, a, a screwdriver to get uh-huh. it off. So you're not going to do it when you pre-flight. There's no door to look through. Your right. best shot uh-huh. is to roll it. And look at it, and um, you don't want to do that when it's been, you know, sitting in the grass for a while. You're not going to yeah. see it. So, True. pilot error is what I would, I would hold this one uh-huh. up to. In in any case, um, you know, it was about ordering a new tire and a new tube, and ultimately, um, my husband almost got a new job because uh, the people. <laughs> At San Juan Airlines, which is a really cool little airline that um, flies all the San Juan Islands, they they were kind enough to help him out with the minor modifications he had to do to the rim to repair it. And um, they're like, hey, you want a, you want a job? <laughs> there are worse places you could be living, I suppose, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice part of the country, and- although... Even wetter than usual, I understand. Uh, not when we were there. They had, mm-hmm. they were going through a pretty darn long spate without any um, any water at all, and and the west was burning this yeah. summer. Yeah. Um, sadly, so there were some smoke issues that we dealt with. But the the good news is that on the way home, we stopped in Bountiful, Utah, and discovered Matco Manufacturing is in Bountiful, Utah, and so we were able to pick up a new rim. And oh, okay, so you did decide ultimately to replace the rim. Yeah, you know what? Even though we had done the repair to make the, the rim serviceable, sometimes, and this is something you do in experimental aviation because you can, because the numbers work out, you get the new part because why not? Yeah. Why yeah. not? For under $200, I had a new rim. Mm -hmm. I had what I needed to have a whole new tire and wheel functionality. Mm -hmm. And um, honestly, I'm happier with that. And I have learned some lessons, and we shouldn't have this problem again. Not for Mm -hmm. a long time. And we'll recognize it better if we do have the flat tire again. So there you go. 
How that's, does it work with a with a tire? Um, you you are fortunate or unfortunate enough to have a live in A and P. Um, are are flat tires something that are owner repairable legally? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so. and I'm in an experimental airplane, so even oh, more yeah, yes. That but but here's the thing: they're actually ramp serviceable because if you can tie or weigh down your tail enough in a nose wheel airplane. You can balance it out so you take all the pressure and, in fact, get that get it up off the ground. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. can you can manage that even at an outstation. In fact, we took everything out of the baggage compartment and just carefully set it at the strong points on the horizontal stabilizer, all nicely padded. And um, then it was simply a pivot point, you know. And I was able even with my strength at my advanced age, to um, carefully pull on the tie-down rope and adjust it so that it was balanced right where we wanted it. wasn't mm-hmm. a problem. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it all worked out, but uh, that was more of an adventure than you had planned, and you had planned a pretty good adventure. Um, we did. We did. But you know what? It was funny. Until we landed in Utah, we didn't realize that we had inadvertently taken ourselves right to where the wheel we wanted was manufactured. And they had one. Okay. Simple as that. I mean, it was really a a go around to the other side of the airport and pick it up. Didn't even need shipping or anything. Very cool. Can't beat that. Nothing like breaking down at the most convenient location available. I'll tell you what. So, I mean, from a luck standpoint this summer, Oshkosh and... You know, not the next leg of our trip brought us right to where we needed the part, right to the part we needed, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, cool. Sounds like a, quite a summer. But uh, and, and farewell to the Kit Fox. That's uh, eh, Not so much farewell. I know where it is. I can visit it anytime I want. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. And go climb into it. And, uh, yeah, that was a challenge room, all by the and it doesn't cost me any money anymore. I know, huh? Yeah, so we'll we'll go visit it when when we get down there this spring. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. We'll we'll do a daily right beside the Kit Fox. Yeah, I would love that. We'll have to figure out where they have it stowed. Right now, it's in Hangar C. That's the last yeah. place I saw it. I would, yeah, I would like to think that it would be handy during the show. So, yeah, next spring we'll, we'll do a daily from the Kit Fox. We'll even shoot some video. I don't, how about that? Anyways, I love right. it. All right. What else is going on in aviation here? Uh, Jeb, you called our attention to a story about the starships, uh, the remaining uh, beach starships. It's uh, it was a cool story. What, what, what did, yeah. did you, I mean, was there anything particularly notable in the story, Jeb? No, I know Dave's got a history with the starship. Um, and uh, thought I would just highlight it's it's one of the I mean, like there's three flying now. I, is it three or two? But yeah, D- J- David, do you know what was the question? How many airworthy uh, beach starships are there right now? I believe it's either. I believe it's five still registered and operating. Oh, in, really? Including one in one or two in Europe. Yeah. Ah, okay. I didn't think it was that many. Okay. How many what was the how many did they make? How many were there airworthy at the height? There were three prototypes and fifty production models and uh, they stopped production at serial number fifty three. At fifty three, okay. And yeah. and this guy's flying fifty one. Okay. Uh one of the later ones. Uh after they changed the exhaust and props to make it a little less uh 
It sounds a little less like a coffee grinder when it goes overhead. Uh, and I think this guy's got airplanes. If, if I read the story correctly, he's got star, starships that aren't flying, but they're still on the, regi- on the registry. And uh, what makes the story interesting is that the guy uh, was contacted by Beach back when they were trying to buy up all the airplanes and failing at that and destroying the ones that they bought. Mm-hmm. And they had a warehouse full of uh, Starship parts. Okay. And they contacted this guy because he had been one of the holdouts and asked him if he was interested in buying Wait a minute. The, yeah. a warehouse full of parts. <laughs> and uh, he said, yeah, I'd be interested in that. And he flew down to uh, where they were, and he took a look. And it would, what, what do you want for him? Oh, we think $3 million would be fair. And I'm sure they did. $3 million <laughs> would be fair. And uh, he shook his head and said, yeah, you know, that's it, it's outside my price range. And then they made the fatal mistake of saying, well, okay, make us an offer. He offered two hundred and fifty k, and they said, give us a check. So, so he bought, this, he bought yeah. this warehouse with millions in spare parts in it, and I'm sure three million was less than what the parts were worth retail. Uh, so he's supplying uh, parts to the other airworthy starships as they need them, as he's got them. And uh, I would bet that some of that is would include some of the uh, some of the uh, uh, Rockwell Collins stuff in the panel, which was very very CRT intensive. Yeah, that but, but panel's what, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't that defeat the whole limited liability purpose of of retrieving and destroying them all? I mean, like Beach went to a lot of expense in order to try and. You know, I thought it was all about escaping liability. They didn't want these things flying for whatever reason. It's the, uh, and then and then to sell the parts to the holdouts basically puts them back in the liability business, doesn't it? It wasn't the liability as much as it was the cost of support for 50 airplanes. And if they were going to have to support the airplanes and keep parts in production, that was going to be a really expensive pain-in-the-butt proposition. And... Uh, Liability was a factor in it too, but mostly they just didn't want to have them out there as an embarrassment. That was the first big thing. Second, the cost of supporting the uh, the fifty airplanes, uh, and they dangled enough money in front of a lot of people that a lot of those people sold their airplanes back to beach. Now a lot of those airplanes weren't sold ever; they were leased, and when those leases expired, beach refused to renew them. And then they got the airplanes back as a result. Uh-huh. So those were easy. Uh, in what way was did Beach think it was an embarrassment? Well, when was you, this was this Beach uh, under under sole ownership, or was this Raytheon Beach? Or it was Raytheon Beach. Raytheon Beach. Okay. Yeah, and uh, Raytheon Raytheon when Raytheon bought the company, that's when a lot of stuff stopped making sense there. But uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, uh, and uh, you know, no, no disrespect to Mister Black, who was chairman of uh, he headed up Beach, he headed up Cessna, he, he uh, went to uh, Raytheon Large where he was chairman, and he just he just passed away recently. Uh, uh, this was a liability for them when he came on board. Uh, because this program started in the late 70s, and the 
prototype, but I'm sorry, the proof of concept flew at an NBAA in Dallas in 83, I believe it was. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, and then it was years more before they finally got it certificated and into serial production, and then they had some engine problems. Uh, the cooling with the uh, uh, with the pusher engines, and they got that solved. And it, it, they wound up, by the estimates given to me by engineers and executives in the program, uh, about a billion dollars that they sunk into this into this project. Now that's a billion with a B in the eighties. Mm-hmm. It was many, many times more than anybody had spent developing a GA airplane like that category ever. And the bar they had to clear to start making a profit on this just kept going up. And it didn't stop going up after they got it into production because of the the aforementioned issues like the engine problems. uh, Then there were complaints about the noise in the back, and they changed the exhaust stacks and the props to reduce that. They redesigned the interior to make it a little more comfortable and more spacious. They just kept putting more money into it, trying to make it more palatable. And along the way, the Citation Jet came into existence. Mm -hmm. And the Citation Jet was a little less expensive at the time and, and, and faster, but not as fuel efficient. And... Conventional, which made an easier made it an easier sell for a lot of people than this exotic built backward pusher canard mm-hmm. airplane. And another thing, you know, Beach had a pretty good line of turboprops at the time, and still does. Yeah, um, yeah. and and the airplane, it, it, it's a flying machine. Oh, it's extraordinary. Uh, it is. Yeah. I mean, they just fly great. Uh, the automated systems in it, it's a single pilot airplane. Uh, the automated systems in it make things like uh, an engine failure almost a non-event mm-hmm. be- because the flight director will and, and the automated systems will shut down the engine. They'll feather the props. They'll bias the chip rudders to keep you lined up on on the uh, uh, on the localizer if you're doing an ILS. We found that out in person once, and uh, it, you know it just. Nothing to it. Uh, handles really well. Smooth ride. Uh, sadly, it just it, it it never caught on. They had so much money into it, and they kept sinking more money into it. And they, mm-hmm. they said, Raytheon Large said, you know, end this. Yeah. Get the airplanes back. We won't have to support them. We won't have to be producing spare parts, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and there are several holdouts. Uh, yeah. Last I heard, Bert Rutan was one of the holdouts. Yeah. And the last time I saw him come into Oshkosh, he came in in his starship. I, uh, I know, right? I, hmm. Okay. So you this could guy's, be right. I don't know if he owns one, but there certainly he certainly has access to one. Um, when they were testing the uh, um, Spaceship One stuff, the chase plane, one of the chase planes. Oh, that was, was a, his. That's his airplane. Was that's, that his? That's I thought not, the, that's the not story. At the, I thought the story at the time was that was a, a friend or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Well, interesting thing. So. Um, you talk about the pusher prop and, and the non-conventional aspect of it here. I, I know towards the end of his career, Bert, Bert is kind of somewhat famous. Bert Rutan is somewhat famous for his pusher prop designs. He's got a bunch of them over the years. And I heard him give a talk at Oshkosh one, one year um, some time ago, but towards the end of his career, where he said that he had 
as the years progressed and he got more experience, he came to believe that the pusher prop really wasn't as good an idea as he thought. Um, he said he learned an awful lot about the the weird aerodynamics and airflow, um, it, you know, to to uh, finally get the air to the props. And it, he, he kind of said, you know, and, and his later designs weren't pushers. He stopped at a certain point, if you look at the history of his designs. Um, yeah, but what he's most famous for is the, the very easy, the long easy, uh, the bear cat. Uh, yeah, but a lot of that is because those airplanes are very weird to look at. And I yeah. would... I would point out that the Italians studied this because look at look at what there is out there that is successive, you know, successful, and that's the Piaggio Avanti, which people mm-hmm. who own them actually really like them. Uh huh. And, and it's that's still also in production. Very much so. There, yeah. There, there's also a little matter of an airplane called Voyager. Oh yeah. That was both a pusher and a tractor. Right. Uh, and that. Feet, the feet accomplished by that airplane has not been duplicated. Right, round well, the world it, it, unrefueled. Right. And one, one of the things that one of the things that the Starship, a hurdle it had to clear, the FAA really had no experience in composite airplanes. Although they had been one, there'd been one t- part, one uh, part twenty three. Uh, airplane, yes. certified as yes. all composite. Before that, but that, nothing as complex and as involved as this airplane. And the, the, you know, the, the nice, nice guys with the uh, aircraft certification office here. But they, they'd look at some of the composite structures that Beach was showing them as samples of what the finished product was going to look at, and they go, "Oh, that can't be strong enough. You need to beef that up. You need to beef this up. You need to beef that up." So they wound up increasing the empty weight of the airplane significantly, which meant they needed to up the horsepower of the engines to get the same climb and cruise, which meant they had to add fuel to get the same range. And it just became a vicious circle thing. And all the time that they're, they're eating up in these changes and trying to get it to market, Cessna is moving ahead with the CJ which is going to compete against it on just about every level, size, range, speed, and price. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the uh, CJ1. Yeah. We'll put a link in the uh, show notes for the uh, story about the uh, this beach starship story, which is kind of a cool story. And, uh, um, and the Aspen Daily News story is really really nicely done. It's a nice story, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and it, in, in the interest of full disclosure, I once interviewed for a job on that newspaper. And and, and you got it or you didn't get it? Uh, I, this is part I, of the disclosure, you know. This is I important. Was, uh, I was... I was when, on the short I was on the short list. So this was about Jiminy. Eighty three, eighty four, uh after I left AOPA. This was before Hunter Thompson ran for sheriff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, after I, I was on the short list and I, I got all the information I needed about living out there and realized that as cool as it sounded to be working for the Aspen Daily News and living up there in the Rockies, that the salary was probably going to allow me to live in the nicest tent that I could afford. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. 
Speaking of living in tents, I guess, there's a really awkward uh, a segue. <laughs> That's not uh, a segue at all. I like tents. Uh, Hurricane Florence. Um, so the, the it's been about a week now since uh, a, a truly historic hurricane made landfall um, here in the United States, down in the uh, southern uh, east coast, um, in the uh, North Carolina, South Carolina area. Um, and, uh, I, I, you know... I, I'm not sure how much there is for us to talk about it here. I, I, you guys don't have any contact with any any aviation people in that area, do you? I, I don't. Do you? Um, not off the top of my head. Yeah, okay. So it's not like we can report on any. The, the main reason I wanted to mention Hurricane Florence was just to shine a light on the fact that once again, GA has come to the rescue. Um, and, uh, you know, when 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 municipalities around the country it's usually municipalities but when communities around the country are trying to close down the local airport because oh we don't need an local airport all right you point to things like this you point to earthquake things in california you point to uh, weather related things in in florida and you remind people that there are many many examples in history where the only way people got food and water was because small airplanes flew them in. All right, and that's happening down now, right now in in the Carolinas, um, with uh, with uh, r- you know um, resupply efforts that are people volunteering with their whatever you know Cessnas and and beaches and pipers um, and flying stuff in, and uh, you know and it happens every time. Yep, yep, absolutely. But the caution here is that. The key to this is organization, and it's highly discouraged that somebody just decide to fill their their Cherokee up with um, relief supplies and dive in there. There's a TFR there. You need to be part of an organized effort. And through AOPA and several other sites, you can join. Mm-hmm. There's no question. Yeah, no, definitely don't be a be, be you know uh, I don't know maverick or whatever about this thing. You know, make sure you're part of some program and do it safely. Um, but uh, you know, it's made the difference. I was reading a story this morning about it's like um, I think it's the Wilmington, North Carolina, Tower Airport is so cut off that they had to fly GA aircraft in to bring them supplies and to move staff around. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, um, I think it's one of the stories that I've, we've linked to here on the list. Well, I know uh, I know. Wilmington, I think it's Wilmington, um, had been isolated by floodwaters. Right. And I think and that's one part point, of it. I don't know if that's still the case. I don't know if it's still isolated, but uh, yeah, it's... Uh, um, you know, so uh, just rem- you know, just kind of put this stash this away for when you have these conversations with people about whether or not you know when 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 you're talking about small airport closures. All right, um, these are a really really important part of the uh, of, of the transportation and inf- infrastructure, and uh, when they're needed, they're invaluable. Um, one uh, one little brush with uh, one little UCAP uh, related. Um, thing when I traveled back and forth to uh, Florida, uh, I typically will stop um, over an overnight in a town called Lumberton, North Carolina. 
Um, and uh, uh, Lumberton has the his, you know, one of the things they crow about is that Lum- Lumberton's the halfway point uh, between New York City and Miami, and that was much more significant back in the days when people used to travel by train um, between New York and Miami, and that was where they'd stop and overnight and things like that. So um, I stop in Lumberton. Lumberton is like seriously underwater right yeah. now. Um, Lumberton is one of the many communities that is is at least it was a couple days ago. I haven't seen a story in a, in a few days, but. Uh, um, you know, it's uh, it's it's pretty significant, and uh, I've I've been trying to visualize this hotel that I typically stay at and, and where it is. And I looked on the map, and it's somewhat close to this river that travels through town, um, but I haven't been able to determine whether or not my hotel was impacted. But a lot of things in Lumberton, North Carolina, are seriously seriously impacted by flooding, and that's pretty far inland. I mean, that's not a coastal yeah, town. Right. Well, we're, what we're, you we're, have to remember is there's these mountains, and it rained there. A a lot too and yeah. that all drains into those rivers yeah. and it goes downstream so instead of having to deal with the surge from the atlantic ocean now they're dealing with the surge coming downstream from all the rain that hit the appalachian mountains and the blue ridge yeah and and, 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 and they got hit from both directions because first the hurricane surge came in and flooded those rivers you know they, they had the rivers going up when the water couldn't flow out from the local rain because of the storm surge. And then the storm surge, and the storm passed all the rain dumped to the west of them, as Amy said, comes down from the mountains, the the, uh, the, the uh, Appalachians, the Blue Ridge. It's just it, it, the Appalachians on that side. It's just extraordinary. It's all downhill. Yeah. Yeah. It's all downhill to the coast. There's one picture um, on the internet of a, of a river. It's an aerial shot uh, looking down the course of a river, a re- relatively straight stretch of a river between the trees. Um, and then the caption says, uh, this is not a river. This is Interstate 40 um, that was completely inundated for, as far as the eye could see. So uh, um, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Oh, there have um, been big stretches of... Uh, I ninety I ninety five yeah clothes yeah uh, yeah that's what that's what caught, called my attention to Lumberton the I ninety five there I couldn't drive that route like I do typically throughout the winter it'll be interesting in this winter to drive through there and see if there's any any remnants at the you know by January but uh, some yeah. of these areas some of these rivers aren't forecast to reach their peak their, their peak flood stage until today yeah. It's still right. It's not over for them, even though the rain has has gone away. the 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 water flow is, you know, as David and, and and Amy pointed out, it's still it's still coming down the watershed. So, anyways, but GA has played an important role, and I just kind of want to you know urge people to stash that away when you're having conversations with people. GA is important. GA makes a difference, and uh, you know, don't let them close your airport. That's very narrow minded, very short sighted. I guess is a better word. Um, Anything else about the uh, hurricane or any of that kind of stuff here? We believe it no, or not, we're reaching the end of our allotted I, time here. I, we're having way too our, much fun. Any, any listeners in that area are, are, are doing better than the average. Um, yeah. No, I, I just uh, any, any listeners in that area who are who are affected by by Florence. I you know I hope they're doing better uh, Abs- than what what might be the case. For absolutely. No. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, let's see now. What else we got here? Um, what do we want to talk about here? Especially while we've got Amy in the hangar here. We've got um, to talk about this this um, right. student pilot who lost the wheel. Okay. Oh, yeah. 
All right. Well, I, and I have not read the details of this. Can one of you uh, brief me on on this uh, student pilot emergency landing on what first solo or something like that? Right. Yeah. Hey, so I don't know if it's first solo or not. Okay. What was the story, Jeb? Do you want to start? Um. Uh, okay. Um. Seventeen-year-old <laughs> uh, student pilot takes off in a Cherokee. Yeah. Um. Wheel falls off as she takes off. Okay. And hijinks ensue. <laughs> yeah. Uh, was this one of these deals where the tower or someone on the ground pointed it, called her attention I to it? I think it was a, another airplane, crew of another airplane. Yeah, okay. Saw it. And, and so uh, how did and, this play out? What happened? <clears throat> she circled around a lot, burned off some fuel. Um, I think her instructor, her, yeah, her instructor came up to the tower cab and, and talked to her, and, and they prepped everything, and she landed on, uh, on two wheels. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, and according to this little blurb, it was her first solo. It was yeah. her first solo. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. That makes okay. it that makes it more exciting. Yeah. You know, usually yeah, it's, it's, it's a stuck mic or something. So this is new. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. memorable anyway. It, I, didn't, uh, I didn't have nearly a memorable as, as memorable first solo. I don't Amy, even remember mine. <laughs> uh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess first solo is longer ago for you guys. I, I remember first solo. I remember it's, uh, yeah, I remember my first solo. Oh, but, uh, I remember all three of my first solos. Yeah, okay. Cause it, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I completely lost my train <laughs> no, of thought no, here. No, 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 oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. no. Not going to go there. Not yeah, right. Not uh, Amy, you're the CFI here. Uh, although, I, do you do much, or you've done primary training in your career? I have done quite a bit of primary training in my career, particularly at the beginning. My last primary student about killed me, but that not not from a from a physical standpoint, but from right. a no, oh I my understand. god, we need to finish this standpoint. Okay. Um, <laughs> all this being said, one of the one of the things that has changed with the solo processes, they really need to be just about a recreational or light sport pilot before they solo now, and so. So you're almost doing 15, 17 hours of training with them, plus a written pre-solo test mm-hmm. before you can cut them loose. And my guess is she's had some good crosswind training. And her instructor yeah. more than likely said, well, you're going to land this kind of like you land it with a crosswind. And you can put a slip in and remember how we do this. And so she would be capable of landing on that on that single main wheel and holding it off, holding it off, holding it off, and letting the nose wheel settle, and finally letting letting the bad side settle, which would have kind of pulled her around in a ground loop pretty mm-hmm. quickly. Mm-hmm. And that would have been the end of that. You know what I mean? Right. Yep. 20, years, it- you know, 20 years from now, when this, this woman's applying for a job, some, someone's going to look at her logbook and say, wait a second. Your first solo was three hours? What the heck? <laughs> yeah. What happened there? Do tell. Yeah. Amy, my question for you, though, is as an instructor, how stressful is it to make that decision and then to sit on the bench and watch? Um, oh, you mean fly by mouth? <laughs> okay. I mean, do you, is, <laughs> you don't always get to, I don't know, are you referring to talking to them on the radio? or? or you- yeah. By, you do that when you're sitting in the right seat anyway. You try very, very hard not to be touching the controls. And honestly, nobody really understands how stressful it is in the very first place to do that, to almost sit on your hands 
and in to the just airplane, calmly yeah. sure. stay in the airplane and stay 30 seconds to a minute ahead of what's going to happen. So you're pretty much watching your student. And so you're seeing where things are going wrong and you're letting the noose out, letting the noose out, knowing about where you have to pull it back in. Uh-huh. And your hair trigger armed to come in and take over if that's what has to happen. But at the same time, if your student's capable, you may never touch the controls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? well, I, I would imagine that, Yeah. But you know the flight instructor's got a tough one to deal with when you see the CFI walk out of the uh, FBO wearing a seat pack parachute. Well, <laughs> yeah. come on. Uh, I used to joke that my that my extra cushions that I had to carry in certain airplanes were, in fact, my seat pack parachute. But nobody <laughs> laughed, so I, yeah. I had to drop that joke. Now, I, I think that it's really hard for an instructor to talk, someone, talk to someone in the air. But honestly, uh, the instructor did a great job. The student did a great job. And where they did the great job was in determining that that student was ready for solo because if you solo a student before they're ready to handle an emergency, well, you know, the mud's on your face if there's an emergency. I was going to say that the outcome of this was predetermined many, many flight hours earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, you know what? I'm sorry. I didn't even look closer at this. This was Beverly Mass, right? This is... Uh yeah, it's up in your neck of the woods. Yeah, I've actually. There you go. So, ergo, yeah. I was right. You had a flight instructor who knew what she was doing. She I, didn't sell her student until her student student could handle it. Yeah, I've actually flown out of Beverly. Uh, well, congratulations to seventeen-year-old uh, pilot Maggie Tarasca uh, for uh, getting on the ground safely. And I'm looking for the name of the instructor that's not jumping out at it, me here. Th- this article says John. Okay. It just refers um, to John. But, I don't- yeah. But I'd really like to have a chat or know more about uh, the maintenance on this airplane. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's another question, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, uh, anyways, well, uh, there you go. What else do we want to talk about here? Um, I, what's on the list here? Hang on. Close windows. Uh, we want to talk about that. We could. <laughs> David, you'd really fly that jet-powered uh, uh, uh Jet powered hang glider? Yeah. <laughs> Once. That was one of my three that was one of my three first solos. <laughs> Talk about hang gliding, but not po- well, obviously powered hang gliding uh, in, in right. manner speaking, was, right? First solo in a hang glider, then four years later, first solo in an ultralight. Yeah. And, and then, then and then fifteen in a tr- years later, first solo in the Cherokee. Yeah. But none of them were involved a a, a jet attached to your ankles no no (laughs) quick answer no there there was there were a couple of hang gliding flights uh which i had a uh, a little gas motor on a long shaft with a metal propeller sticking out past my toes called the sore master okay (laughs) and you start you started the engine on the ramp then you launched and you had a uh a pincher type clothespin, you know, the spring kind of. That was yeah. that was where the throttle cable was set up, and you put that in your mouth. And as soon as you cleared the ramp, you squeezed on that with your teeth and gave it full gas, and and off you went into the stratosphere. It sucked. 
<laughs> it was it was way out of way out of balance on the ramp, and it wasn't it wouldn't trim up good in the air, and you had to be mindful not to push back too far, uh, lest your toes get in the uh, arc of the prop. And which did happen to uh, at least one guy, and gave the little sword master system a new nickname, the Toe Master. Yeah. Okay. Well. All right. Um, but yeah. So. See, this is a classic example of uh, Tupper sent me a, a uh, referred me to a Twitter um, recently, um, which uh, let's see now. I gave you guys a link to the Twitter here. Let's see if I can do this here. So the Twitter was uh, f- uh, unrelated, strictly speaking, to aviation. This is just sort of a miscellaneous random tweet um, where a guy named Hoff Matthews tweeted, the closest you can get to knowing what it's like to be a ghost is listening to a podcast where the hosts are trying to remember a piece of trivia that you know. <laughs> okay, um, And I would extend this, uh, this observation to uh, uh, things like uh, uh, talking about a piece of tech that we don't know the answer to, or uh, talking about a video that only we can see, if you know, even we can see it. Um, and so, uh, um, you know, talking about videos, talking about uh, 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 hang, uh, jet-powered hang gliders. So this was a hang. Was it actually a hang glider, or was it a powered a parachute? It was a hang glider, right? It's David? a hang glider. Yeah, yeah a hang glider. And I don't have the pictures in front of me right now. Um, and then they had rigged one of these small turbine jet engine engines to, uh, not literally to the ankles of the pilot, but down, you know, kind of when you extend out head first, that's kind of down in that area. Um, and uh, I, I was quite frankly amazed that the heat, the thrust heat of the jet, didn't singe some portion of the you know trailing edge of this this uh, you know bit, structure. harness yeah yes. was some sort of harness or or or, or you know well, sock that that person wrapped themselves in and uh, yeah he's wearing a pod harness and yeah there's a a rig on the tail end of it that uh, holds the jet and it has to be some kind of structure there to keep it from tipping forward and sucking the fabric into the inlet uh, how they did that, I can't tell from the photograph, but right. the uh, the video of is pretty cool. I have a question. Yeah, where can one buy one of these? and loud? Yeah, I'm sorry, Jeb. What? Where, where can one where, what? Where can one buy one of these engines? Yeah, it looks cool. Okay, uh, let's get that Kit Fox back, and uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly that'll, that'll solve your engine problem real quick. Uh, yeah, right. I it, it, got a feeling it's more than I want to spend. I, I was going to say it might create a few other problems, but it'll solve the engine problem. <laughs> um, I don't know, Jeb. I, I but they you see you're we're seeing these little jets more and more these days. Um, I don't know if this one is as small as the or is the same size as the jet that they put on the Sonics. I think it's smaller than that. Yeah, and I know that there are these little turbine engines now that they're putting on on large RC aircraft occasionally. Well, um, we've, got, we've had we've had guys fly wingsuits with multiple jet engines hanging yeah, off the yeah. off right. a hard wing. Right, right. It's an interesting subject because I remember in the early days of this podcast when when um, personal jets first became a thing. All right, um, and uh, uh, Williams Jet was one of the first uh, uh, pioneers in terms. Terms of making smaller than than usual turbine engines, uh, and and I asked the question on this podcast. I said, "Well, what's the 
why is this notable? And the conversation at the time was that, that uh, like the Williams jet was at the lower range of what was possible in terms of the materials that were available. And then I will now add at that time. Um, because it's obvious that materials um, stuff has changed over the years, and they're able to develop these uh, these uh, extreme engines because a turbine, by definition, is kind of extreme in terms of temperature and and velocities and and you know uh, RPMs and and whatnot. And apparently, they can now make them smaller than we ever dreamed twelve years ago. But uh, Google tells me. What does Google have to say? Google yeah. tells me I can buy a. A uh, turbine engine with 13 pounds of thrust, which I don't know how to, you know, it goes up from there. Right. uh, I can buy one of these for $2,000. Well, yeah, I'll take two. Uh, Well, it might take two. (laughs) (laughs) But you're never going to believe where I can get one. Uh, Where's that? Chief Aircraft. As opposed to, <laughs> you know. Seriously? <laughs> Seriously, it's listed on, on Chief's uh, website. Nice. Uh, um, what, 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 are, know, what is maybe, Chief known for? Well, it, they're kind of like aircraft spruce. they got a lot yeah. of different parts and and um, uh, supplies for uh, aircraft owners, kit builders. Now, do they um, also support the RC world, or, or do they just? They have an art radio control uh, subsection on their they website. They do, okay. I and mean, that's probably what the... Co- yeah, okay. Because I don't think they intend for these to be put on a on a human-carrying aircraft. I don't think. Maybe... It's all, it's all experimental. They yeah. don't really care what you do with it because it's not their problem. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, and just for frame of reference... Yeah. The, uh, the, the little engine on the uh, Subsonics delivers 240 pounds of thrust. Okay. Okay. Some of well, these that's... engines on Chief, uh, I'm looking at 89 pounds of thrust. Um, that should be more than ample for that hang ladder. Yeah. 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 I'm okay. thinking, you know, lawnmower. <laughs> well, you know, maybe Wait, that's wouldn't what... Wouldn't you need a turbo shaft for that one? I don't that's how we'll solve your lawn, your lawnmower problem, your garden right. tractor problem, Jeb. When I get down there, all right, exactly. we'll get one of these jet engines. And I'm sure the neighbors. You better, won't mind it. you better make sure I'm there for that. I get to see that. <laughs> I love this idea. All right, okay, I'll, I'll order it now. Make sure it gets delivered by January. Well, that, uh, that 240 pounds of thrust lets this thing cruise at 230, 240 miles an hour. So yeah. a so, mile an hour per pound of thrust. Uh, if you translate that down to the hang gliding speeds, you'd only need yeah. between 35 and 50 pounds of thrust. Yeah, yeah. I, and, you know, I mean, on a, on a related, we've been talking the last couple episodes of my, me and my pontoon boat adventures, and, and I've been experimenting with how to retrofit my pontoon boat to run on electric motors. Um, but I get me one of these turbines. I, I could be, oh heck yeah! I could be famous on the lake here with my jet powered pontoon boat. Here's a here's a turboprop engine. Uh, this is on Chief. Um, turboprop engine doesn't say what oh, rated at nine kilowatts. I don't know what that translates into in thrust. Uh, Five thousand dollars. I'd be highly suspicious of of what you got there for five grand. Well, I would too. It's it's um, what does what does it say? Um, um, twenty five hour TBL. Hmm. But but only two hundred fifty dollar overhaul fee. Hmm. 
There you mm. go. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How, what in the world would they change out that it was only going to cost you that much? Is it, well, it says, let me read this correctly. Uh, turbine maintenance cycle is 25 hours. So it has to go back to the factory right. at mm-hmm. 25 hours for a $250 flat fee. I'm pretty convinced that that's not meant to carry a human being type yeah, engine. I'm, I'm kind of on that, that yeah, rope okay. also. Yeah, I think um, that's that's a, probably a pretty good bet. That's probably it a doesn't pre- say not for human you know use or something. No, not man why would you put limitations on people? Exactly, exactly. That's how we get the Darwin Awards. Exactly, exactly. Um, well, what right. would we do without the Darwin Awards? Oh, it comes know. in a nice little uh, case, <laughs> like a suitcase. It's because I, because portability is a key factor. I, my mind is blown. Okay, I, I, I'm, I gotta I gotta think about this. Five okay. grand for a turboprop engine. All right, there we go. Hi, this is Jack. We here at Uncontrolled Airspace are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. There are two simple ways that you can contribute to this podcast. You can make a one-time, non-repeating donation by using PayPal. It doesn't need to be very much. As little as 10 or $15 is a big, big help. Or you can make an automatically repeating per-episode pledge with Patreon. With the online service Patreon.com, you can pledge as little as $1 per episode, put limits on your per-month contribution, and change or cancel your pledge at any time. For more information about how you can support this podcast in one of these ways, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. That will take you to a page with details on both these support methods. Thanks. Shoutouts. What do we got? Anybody got anything you want to talk about here? I, I, uh, there's a couple things in that section, but I don't know whether... Uh, I actually... Saturday, October 13th. Remember your girls in Aviation Day. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Tell us a little bit more about that. What's the, uh, how's that going to work? Is it, uh, well, you know, Women in Aviation International has chapters all over the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, right now, I know there's more than 50 events being planned, and some of them have already started. So the WAI Australia chapter's event date is actually coming up it's september 24th and there when you literally you can go to the wai.org site and click on the girls in aviation day logo and you'll be able to see every place in the world from australia to botswana to canada several different places in canada france germany ghana india there's 17 locations in india where they're going to be having events. The whole idea is um, similar to what the Kid Fox is going to be doing. It's getting kids to see what aviation can do for them in their world. Mm-hmm. So it's all about outreach. And our chapters, um, it's, it's a very organic, it's a very grassroots effort. I know the person who originally thought it up, Patricia Lupke, one of my favorite minds uh, in the aviation world, who mm-hmm. is still out there coming up with amazing ideas uh, for a lot of different people. But um, in the United States, we've got so many different places in the U.S., Dozens upon dozens. Uh, right here in Florida, you've got uh, Jacksonville, Melbourne, Orlando, Pensacola, uh, Tampa Bay. The, that's just Florida alone. Mm-hmm. 
Looks so, great. This is quite a list. Boy, I'm just scrolling through this list of all of the uh, locations where there's going to be. And a, there's hot links. There's contacts everywhere yeah. so that people can get their kids involved in it that weekend. Yeah. And so the idea is that uh, you, you, you actually go to this, this event and, and, and that's where you get a chance to experience all this stuff. Absolutely. It's a fantastic day to play for your kids in an organized setting where they will learn about aviation. And we're not just talking about aviation like I want to be a pilot here. No, they are learning about aviation in a billion different facets, the the whole world of it, the stuff we need people to know so that as they're exposed to it, they get the idea that I could be there to fix, you know, uh, satellite systems. I could be there to to work in a tower. I could work in an air traffic control center. I could uh, be a flight director for a space mission. You know, mm-hmm. there's a mm-hmm. thousand different ways to skin that cat. Yeah, very very cool. It's uh, it's on the web. It's wai.org. And you go to their homepage. Right now, it's one of the featured things, uh, this particular event or series of events. But uh, if you go to their events section, you'll find more information about the Girls in Aviation Day 2018. Cool, cool. Yeah. What else? Other shout-outs? Well, along the same lines, and uh, if I'm reading this right, a week later, the Sun and Fun campus is hosting Aerospace Discovery Day. Mm-hmm. From ten in the morning to four in the afternoon, and it's a it, it's set up to be a family event. It's free admission. It's five bucks to park, and that goes to the uh, 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 Sun and Fun's Ace Unmanned Squadron Club. Uh, they have uh, Young Eagle rides for the first two hundred kids to register between eight and seventeen. Mm-hmm. Uh, scavenger hunt, but they're going to do rockets and talk about airplane simulators and build ribs and balsa construction and uh have other activities uh folks can come and uh and, and camp if they want to stay for a couple of days uh i know that's apt to be a more to draw more locally than the women in aviation event which is a global thing but if you're in the neighborhood of uh, lakeland florida october yeah. 20 and got kids that are interested in the uh, in learning more about aviation. This would be another opportunity to uh, let them immerse for a day. Yeah, and and if you're lucky, maybe you get a chance to see uh, Amy's Kit Fox. Yeah, would, no kidding. You know maybe so that's gonna, why it's in Hangar C. I, I, a blanket apology to Barry. God bless him, but. This will always be Amy's Kit Fox in my mind. So. Oh, you are very sweet. But it, the manufacturer was Barry Mars. So. Oh, I see. Okay. It's like, <laughs> he did build life. it for me. I know he did. I know he did. I know he did. But, uh, um, and I have a hard time picturing. I never saw him. Well, that's not true. I think the two of you flew into a Hidden River one time yeah. in that airplane. Absolutely. Yeah, you've seen him a, in it. He's not a small guy, and that's a small airplane. Um, well, and it didn't have adjustable seats or rudder pedals because it was a very early model. We built that airplane in 1992, yeah. 1993. But what we did have was were some custom-made cushions that made it work for me. And then he'd pull the cushions out or throw them over or throw them in the mm-hmm. back. And right. then it worked for him. So it right. really was set up for a pilot okay. who was 6'3". Well, maybe you'll have a chance to see uh, Barry's Kit Fox uh, at, uh, at this uh, Sun and Fun event. That'd be cool. The Jeb? Mars Kit Fox. 
the Mars Kid Fox. There you go. The Mars, Mars Kid Fox. Kid Fox. Um, which, yeah, there's all, all kinds of other possibilities with that name for it, you know. So, uh, um, <laughs> did it have a name? Did you call it Opportunity or? or uh, I used to call it Little Bird. Little Bird. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Other shout outs. Jeb? I got, I got nothing. You got nothing. Okay. Well, I think we're done then. I think we're done. We've had too much fun here. We didn't get through half the list, but that's okay. I had a lot of fun. What are uh, lists for? What are lists for if not to ignore? Uh, thank you so much. Uh, it's just a blast uh, getting together with my good friends here. Uh, uh, Amy Laboda is a – Amy, I didn't – I neglected to ask you. It's been so long since you've been in the uh, hangar here. But uh, this is what I used to have to tell people about you. Amy Laboda is a uh, flight instructor, an airplane builder, and a freelance aviation writer. Uh, wow. Yeah, the only thing I'd correct on that yeah. is I I help build airplanes occasionally. I am not an airplane builder. Uh, yeah, you're an airplane builder like I'm a motorcycle uh, restoration person. Which is There you I, go. I hand Jeb the tools, all right? And, uh, yeah. 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 I stand. I, I always used to say I was an infinitely adjustable human sawhorse. Yeah. At this point, I give uh, uh, Jeb and Dave an opportunity to tell a little bit about what they're working on. Uh, but you're like semi-retired. Are you working on any interesting projects, Amy, that uh, you want to tout or tell people about or I'm crawl gonna, about? I'm going to actually help one of my clients out at um, the NBAA this year because it's in Orlando. And I'm pretty excited about it because I'm going to get to do some video work, which is totally different. Oh, very cool. You yeah. and, you and Ian going to work on that? Yeah. Outstanding. So cool. So cool. Uh, Amy, if people want to try and track you down on the Internet, are you are you visible on the Internet these days? Uh, Not terribly. Yeah, okay. Not Good. terribly. I have all of those possibilities, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm laying low these days. Right. It's, it's a personal thing. Well, we'll invite, we'll invite people to do Google searches and see what they come up with. Thank you, Amy. We really appreciate it. Uh, Jeb Burnside. Jeb is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, what are you working on? Um, a lot of little projects around the house, a, lot of, a couple of big projects down in the hangar. Um, just kind of enjoying the... Uh, um, the, the end of the year, the end of the summer, I should say, mm-hmm. and uh, gearing up for some travel and some additional work here in the next couple of months. So I also will be at NBAA uh, working uh, kind of alongside Amy. Mm-hmm. So uh, looking forward to all that. Um, and uh, got a, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a couple of, uh, uh, you know, ALPA is doing these regional uh, right. uh, flying yep. events in mm-hmm. uh, various places around the country. Uh, a couple coming up are, are, are of interest. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure if I'll make either one of them, but mm-hmm. uh, they're both of interest. So uh, you never know where I might turn up in that regard. Yeah, very cool. Uh, where can people find you on the internets? Oh, please don't. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> oh, just right. don't find uh, you. Leave me alone, just, right? Just yeah. Don't find you. No, just leave no, 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 no. You're uh, you're pretty active on the Twitter thing these days, and yeah, uh, uh, it's easy to, to click something every now and then. Um, uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com would be a great place to start. That's uh, kind of the day job thing. Um, I'm also occasionally on um, AEA.net for the uh, Aircraft Electronics Association. Um, Sometimes you can find some stuff of mine on uh, AvWeb. Sometimes you can find some stuff of mine on uh, GA News, GeneralAviationNews.com, as well as uh, AINOnline.com. Very cool. Did you say Twitter? I did not. Burnside J on Very the Twitter good. machine. 
Very cool. Very cool. Um, the magazine's on Twitter too, right? Magazine is on Twitter. Av Safety Mag uh, on uh, at Av, Av Safety Mag on the Twitter. Very good. Very good. And Dave Higdon. Dave's an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's Av Buyer Magazine. David, what are you working on? Well, I just filed my uh, weekly business aviation blog for Av Buyer, which I talk about the uh, need for the FAA to resist political pressure to change the airspace to make drones uh, let drones fly anywhere, everywhere until they're able to meet the same see and avoid and fit into the system standards. They need to fit in the airspace system as it is and not have everything upended just to make room for this new type of flying. And uh, there's some pressure building to do that from the commercial interests. And the technology is there so that they can fit into the airspace and be under surveillance like the rest of us. Uh, but some of them don't want to wait for that to trickle through the system. They want to be able to do stuff beyond visual line of sight. Mm-hmm. And that can be done now, too. But yeah. you, you need a waiver yeah. under Part 107. Yeah. And so, so that's, uh, uh, that's on the blog? Yeah, that's what I blogged about this week. It uh, should be up uh, tomorrow cool. at com. Very cool. Very cool. Um, and other places people can find you on the Internet? Well, like Jeb, you can find me uh, in Avionics News. You can look that up at AEA.net, or you can write them and get a subscription to it at your home for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, com and uh, on the Twitter machine, I'm uh, Real Higdon, and I sometimes pop up other places, but we like to make those surprises. There you go. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer, uh, continuing to play with my pontoon boat. And uh, I just got checked out. This actually could have a, an aviation relation relationship or be related to aviation. I just got checked out at my local makerspace on the 3D printers. Um, Ooh, and, that's cool. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I've been a member of this makerspace for about three years now. And for some reason, I, and, ma- and 3D printing is a very, very big deal at makerspaces all over America. But for some reason, it just didn't, I don't know, there were, I was more interested in other parts of the makerspace that I had never been involved with before, um, like the wood shop and like welding and like that kind of stuff. Um, and 3D printing just felt like more computer stuff, which is what I've done all along. So I never really dived into the 3D printing. And then um, I recently visited with a friend of mine who bought a 3D printer, and I was playing with his 3D printer and said, oh, this is kind of cool. I do kind of like this. And so I went and got checked out um, on the 3D printers at uh, Port City Makerspace, which I'm a member in Portsmouth. And uh, I now have all kinds of ideas for pieces, parts that that I can uh, fabricate, uh, both novelties. And one of the things that tipped me over the edge to to get checked out in 3D printing is that I've been following a particular um, YouTube channel recently of a guy who's building a robot, which is kind of, there's a lot of people building robots. But what's notable about this guy is that he's using 3D printers in a big, big way to fabricate parts for these custom robots that he's building. Um, the, the various components and, and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, pieces, parts that go into the robot. Um, and uh, to see this guy use... 3D printing in a very, very practical, productive way was interesting because a lot of 3D printing is kind of novelty stuff, it seems to me sometimes, um, at least hobbyist 3D printing. 
So, well, you say that, but you know my sister's orthodontics office now has a 3D printer. <laughs> okay. For, all right. Uh, like, like, for retainers and, say, and retainers, custom things. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Plastic teeth, right? Yeah. Jack, so, I wanted to ask, what, yeah. what constitutes being checked out on the 3D printer? Well, yeah, of course, I've applied an aviation term to my makerspace, and they don't use that term. Okay. Um, but uh, no, no, it's it's uh, it's both a both a learning thing and a safety thing um, for each of the parts of the makerspace. You have to demonstrate that you know how to use the equipment safely um, and, and in such a way that you're not going to break it. I mean, you're not going to hurt yourself or hurt the equipment. And so usually this takes the form of uh, signing up for a two or three hour class um, and and going in and actually getting trained on on using the equipment and uh, and so that's what I did the other night um, we went in and, and spent three hours um, reviewing and kind of kind of getting a, 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 a demonstration there's four currently four working 3d printers at our space um, and so I got a chance to they were all demonstrated to us and explained to us and um, and then the uh, software that you use to uh, to actually print something was demonstrated, and we got a little bit of training on that. Um, and uh, and now based on that, uh, I have you know th- they now have reason to believe that I can use the equipment without hurting it or me. Um, and so that's what I call a checkout. Okay. Yeah. So do you have? Well, let me continue asking stupid questions. Yeah. Um, does this print plastic? Is it metal? Is it some mixture of the two? It's plastic, basically. Okay. Um, okay. There are other materials that you can use. Um, the ones that they have at Port City Makerspace are all plastic materials. And there's different grades of plastic that you can use, uh, you know, depending on what you're making. Um, they only typically use two or three different types of plastic that have to do with it basically boils down to durability, um, and and that usually translates to how much temperature is required to right. melt the plastic in order to apply it. Um, but uh, so so these are plastic. It's relatively durable plastic. I'm not sure if it's if it's durable enough that I would necessarily use it in an aviation part. Um, but I can imagine a lot of of like motorcycle parts that I might be willing to print in this. And if you really really want to, yeah, there there are uh, much more exotic. You can get different kinds of material. You can get harder materials and softer materials. It's just a function of the what the machine that you're working with is capable of. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, there's a there there literally are 3D printers that have a a, a MIG welding thing at the tip, right. and and it lays down a bead of welding material. Um, a la all the 3D printers you've ever seen. And, and they, they actually, you know, create objects out of metal that way. So, uh, you know, um, yeah. So, but the, so, one I'm, the ones so I have my, access to are plastic, yeah? So my, my Christmas list yeah. is going to be, I guess, a 3D printer and a jet engine. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, and what uh, could go wrong? I know, really. Yeah, we can get in a lot of trouble in January with those two things. Um, sounds good. Anyways, that's uh, that's what I've been working on, and uh, um, you can find me online. Uh, almost most of the usual places, you can find me with the username Jack Hodgson. That's my my go to username, Jack Hodgson, all one word. Um, on YouTube, of course, that becomes YouTube.com/slash Jack Hodgson. Twitter.com/slash Jack Hodgson. Um, on Amazon, you can search 
search for my Around the Field books in the books section by searching for the word words Around the Field. Um, and you can sign up for my email newsletter at jackhodgson.com. David, hey, you still there? Was there something you wanted to tell us? Yeah, if you want to be as old and tottering as Jack, you need to fly a lot because, you know, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. Uh, and that's, you see, I'm, I always wait for you to say bye-bye. That's enough talking. Let's go flying. TTFM. <laughs>